0: Hello friends and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you enjoyed this episode and want to make sure that you don't miss the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis, or catch up on previous episodes you might have missed, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. It's always free, and make sure you'll never miss another episode. Tonight's episode is brought to you by RockAuto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit RockAuto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. On tonight's episode, I wanted to do a couple of things. The first thing I thought I'd talk about is Winnipeg's performance against the Toronto Maple Leafs last night, where I was actually preoccupied with like a, a live um, podcast session of sorts. So, naturally, I was watching the game on the side, but I ended up skipping on recording an episode last night because I was a little bit tired, so now it's time to take a little bit of a retroactive look at last night's game, and then we'll take a look at some of the scorelines from around the league, including stuff that might be more relevant to the Northern Division. So, Jets, Leafs, you probably had some thoughts going into this game about, you know, Winnipeg really struggling against Toronto in the previous matchup on Tuesday. Maybe you would hope that the, the Jets would actually show up and have a stronger performance. With this team, I think what we've come to expect is that Winnipeg can kind of feast upon really bad teams. But I think it's important to understand what feasting means. I think in a lot of ways, the Jets don't actually outplay all that many of their opponents. What you often find is, like, Winnipeg is basically around break-even in a lot of these games that, you know, where they're playing a lot of really poor teams. And I say break-even, sometimes the shot clock is a little bit favorable to the opponents. When you look at the expected goals, battles, though, Winnipeg does actually get to the slot a decent amount. And, of course, we know that their special teams units can absolutely tear apart PK uh, structures, especially for teams that don't have many great defenders. Likewise, of course, the Jets' PK is kind of porous, but that's kind of a separate issue. In the first game against Toronto, though, I think what we've talked about previously was that Toronto basically just hemmed the Jets in, shut down their defensive activations, kept the uh, kept all of the breakouts you know, hemmed in through the neutral zone and inside the defensive zone for the Jets. Winnipeg really just struggled to get the puck out, could not create breakouts, and really could not create transition offense. And so that often leads to a lot of situations where your guys are turning the pucks over and and really struggling to make any sort of even strength impact. You know, even on the power play, I felt like the Jets had a couple of moments where Toronto really pressured them. I was hoping that the second game would be a little bit more even, but unfortunately, I don't think the Jets actually played all that much better. I think overall, they were improved on their previous performance because the, the previous game on Tuesday was just a complete disaster class despite the win. But... In this first period, what we kind of saw with the Jets was, again, struggling to create even-strength offense, struggling to get up the ice, and I think one of the biggest issues with this team continues to be that the blue liners on the back end, especially when the Jets gain the offensive zone, don't really provide a lot of support. It's a continuing theme, and I feel like the Jets are maybe too cautious, which is, you know, I get it from a coaching perspective in terms of how Maurice wants to be careful and not overcommit. But by the same token, the Jets defenders don't really do a whole lot of in-zone defense anyways. And when one of them steps inside the neutral zone to try and, you know, pinch off uh, somebody and, and create a counter the other way, we've often seen that Jets defender get absolutely roasted. You know, I'm thinking of Nate you frequently, but he's not the only one. And so oftentimes it feels like the Jets are very afraid to do stuff, and you can tell that Toronto understands that the Jets are very conservative, willing to sit deep, and so they'll apply a ton of pressure, waves of it actually, and create a lot of rotational cycles. This is something that the Jets have really struggled to break down. And when Toronto is in this rhythm of cycling the puck effectively and creating lots of really good overlapping routes, the Jets basically look like they're about to crap their pants, which is sort of what happened in this game. Winnipeg's defenders constantly looked confused throughout the entire night. You know, they were trying to match their man zone coverage and sort of skating into places where they were supposed to be. But the problem is... If you just make the read and make the play, it's more likely to result in a positive outcome rather than just trying to skate to where you need to be and try to make a play there, because oftentimes Toronto's already adjusted their puck movers to a different location. I think it's why there are so many busted coverages in this Jets D. Rather than interpreting the situation through the, uh, you know, the main instructions that they've been given, they seem to be very rigid, but unfortunately that just makes them a lot more confused when they're trying to figure out who they're supposed to mark. The only one who did not crap his pants, though, is Connor Hellebuck, and he was extremely strong in that, especially in the opening surges. Uh, You know, there weren't that many, like, crazy shots on goal in terms of volume for the first period, but the Jets also surrendered a ton of really high danger chances. Toronto basically gashed Winnipeg's slot wide open, and it always felt like the Leafs were, you know, one good shot or one good chance or rush away from scoring, you know, an early goal here. But thankfully, the Jets ended up lucking out and Nikolai Ehlers got a nice little, uh, you know, two-on-one situation. And of course, Ehlers being Ehlers, he roofed this one. I think it was the top right corner, went off the crossbar and in. It was just a beautiful shot. And of course, the best Jet continues to eat. This is something that I think is very important for Winnipeg to see because I know that Ehlers at times has, you know, not always gotten the uh, the highest ice time deployments which is kind of crazy because when it comes to guys who are the most creative attackers and most effective 5v5 play drivers on the team, Ehlers does it all. He's a good transition skater. He hits you on really rapid counters. He's very good inside the offensive zone at creating space, and his vision and passing are almost unmatched. So, you know, I feel like the Jets just don't take advantage enough of what he brings. Sometimes they do and recognize it, but other times, you know, it's kind of like hit or miss with his team. So, you know, overall, I feel like this first period was a little bit annoying. The Jets weren't as bad as they were in the previous game, but certainly I felt like there was room for improvement, which continues to be a common trend with this team. But I also expected that Toronto would be very strong, that they'd repeat their performance on Tuesday. So I guess slightly improved, I I could say. You know, the Jets surrendered maybe a few less high-danger chances or whatever. I'll say this, you know, once the Jets actually get sustained possession or a really good counter, they can look very lethal, you know, and at times they've been able to cut open Toronto's slot. But it's just... The number of times that that happens is very infrequent compared to how often Toronto is, you know, marauding down the wings and really pasting the jets in their own end. If you are wondering if that trend did continue throughout the rest of the game, well, you're going to have to wait just a moment, but I think you can probably guess which direction this game sort of trended. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of the later periods, though, I did want to tell you a little bit about why BetOnline.ag needs to be your one-stop shop for all your online betting needs. When it comes to the wild, wacky world of online betting, it can be hard to know who you can trust. You need a really reliable name and somebody that makes it easy for you. That's why you should look no further than BetOnline.ag. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, NHL, international soccer, and so many other sports are all in full swing. If you're not even into sports, BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV with real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine, whether you think you know the next Stanley Cup champion or you want to bet on who's getting voted off your favorite reality TV show next. BetOnline also has you covered for all the news, scores and odds you need to always make the most informed bets possible. As exciting as all of this may sound, you might be even happier to know that it's super easy to get started. Go to BetOnline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up, and when you register for a free account, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Friends, it's March, and I'm sure you all know what that means if you're a college basketball fan. It is March Madness. It's time to start busting out those brackets and seeing which of the best college teams can prevail. But college basketball ain't the only thing in town when it comes to March Madness. Built Bar is back and better than ever with their own bracket challenge called Built Bar Madness. We've been telling you about Built Bar for a long time. It's the best tasting protein bar on the market, and it's great for you. It's low calorie, low sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber and it always tastes great because it's coated in 100% chocolate. But as many great flavors of Bilt Bar as there are, there can only be one true grand champion, and now it's your time to have your voice heard on these matchups. Right now, you need to decide between Churro Puff and Cookies and Cream to advance in the second tier of the challenge. This is a genuinely difficult one for me because I feel like Churro Puff sounds like a fantastic flavor and is honestly delicious, but, you know, the Cookies and Cream is a really classic flavor. I've gotten a chance to try it once. I thought it was great. It's part of their new lineup. This is a tough call, but to place your vote, go to BiltBar.com pages slash brackets and place your vote right now. And when you're done, be sure to place an order for Built Bar as well, and use promo code LOCKEDON20 to get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON20 at builtbar.com checkout for 20% off your next order. And as always, don't forget to check back at BiltBar.com slash pages slash brackets to see which flavors have been crowned champion. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are currently in the midst of recapping the uh, the Jets versus the Maple Leafs from yesterday. But before we go any further, here's why you need to be listening to Locked on Bets. Betting on the NHL doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, Wrong Team Favorite Picks, and Lee Starling's Lock of the Day. Follow the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get your favorite shows. Speaking of guaranteed locks and wins and things, you're probably wondering if the Jets managed to prevail a second time against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the question is a little bit more complicated. In the second period, Toronto basically kept doing what it was doing, which is, you know, creating these great counters, getting stonewalled by Connor Hellebuck, and creating absolute havoc in Winnipeg's low slot while the Jets really struggled to do much of anything. It's not like Winnipeg didn't create at all, but of of course their offense and, and even strength creation was generally pretty limited. When they did finally create a nice counter, it didn't really amount to much usually just because it it is hard to create against this Leafs team if you're not really consistently bringing in your defenders into the offensive play. This often meant the Jets forwards had to be a little bit on an island as they worked to create offensive opportunities deep inside the zone. And it's just very frustrating to watch the Jets try and do this because I, I get that Winnipeg tends to play off the rush. That's fine. You know, rush chances with this team are pretty dangerous just because the Jets have a lot of speed and a lot of really skilled shooters. Where I find it less acceptable is when the Jets actually get zone possession, and, and it's not frequent because they often get disrupted elsewhere, but... When they finally do gain the offensive zone, it's like you, you cycle the puck around between three different skaters while your D-men just kind of stand there, occasionally jump in once in a while, but it's pretty seldom. And Winnipeg is always outmanned. It's like an ISO situation where the Jets just don't really have enough players to compensate for the fact that the D-men don't really activate or do anything and give them any support deep down in the uh, the trenches. When the blue line does activate, it's often the uh, the wrong guys that you would be hoping for, like Nate Beaulieu jumping into the play. I don't really want to see Beaulieu doing that kind of stuff because... Let's be honest, Nate the Great is probably not really capable of that kind of stuff, especially if he gets caught overcommitting and, and, you know, jumps in a little bit too deeply and gets caught on the counter. Thankfully, we don't really have to worry about that for a bit just because he won't be playing for the Jets over the next couple of weeks as he recovers. Whatever shot that he blocked on Tuesday appeared to have done some pretty decent damage on his wrist because he's out for several weeks until, uh, you know, he's able to return. In the meantime, we're getting Logan Stanley and Logan... I think you all know uh, what we're getting with him, and that's a big guy on the back end who has a huge shot that he's not really capable of getting on the net for some reason, and I feel like Stanley is one of those players who, as long as you keep him away from really speedy forwards like Willie Nealander and whatnot, you're probably okay. I feel like he's capable of shutting down passing lanes, using his frame to bully guys in the corners, and sometimes he's able to make a really nice defensive play with the extra long reach that he has, which you know is probably one of the main advantages of a guy who is his size. Last night, admittedly, wasn't uh, an astoundingly great game from him. I don't think uh, he was all that impactful in the right ways, which is okay. I feel like Stanley is one of those players who's going to take time to adjust to this level of hockey, especially against a team like Toronto that's basically running circles around you. Heading into the second period, everyone on Winnipeg was basically getting roughed up, and of course that pressure eventually did crack for for Toronto, and you know, Mitch Marner ends up cleaning a nice little rebound opportunity in front of Hellebuck. Nothing Connor could do there, but uh, backhands it in. I think what was kind of strange to watch was Derek Forboard and Neil Pionk were behind the net watching one of the puck carriers, but they didn't actually pressure the guy. They had the skater pincered in here with both guys on either side of the net, but for some reason they just gave him so much space. And, of course, you know, the the Leafs won't really make a mistake here. They get it to the point. I think it was Brody who gets the assist here, passes down to Matthews. Matthews either takes a shot or passes it. I don't quite remember what it was. But in the chaos, there's a rebound opportunity, and then, you know, Marner puts it home, which is the kind of thing that you'd expect from this team. They have so many talented shooters, but they're capable of crashing the net and getting into the really dirty areas where where Toronto is capable of making a living. So not a great situation, but thankfully, you know, towards the midway point of the period, Nikolai Ehlers again on another odd man situation with Kyle Connor ended up scoring his second goal of the game, another go-ahead goal. And you felt, well, maybe the tide was turning. And then the third period happened, and that that didn't really uh, last for too long. I'll tell you that. Uh, Willie Nylander, early into the period, worked with John Tavares on a beautiful, beautiful goal. I was actually impressed. You just have to tip your cap on this play. Tavares with a great decal on the outside to the inside, and then gets a beautiful pass to Nylander. Willie just drives it in. Great shot. About as good as a goal scoring sequence you'll probably find in the NHL. And then the next goal, uh, about six or so minutes later, this one I don't really like all that much because Kyle Connor, in one of the corners behind Winnipeg's net, got really lazy and just sort of tossed the puck around the boards. And of course, it gets picked off. And then, you know, Logan Stanley comes over to try and support Connor because, let's be honest, Connor's not really capable of handling defensive assignments ends up overcommitting a bit and creates a gap for Ilya Mikheyev to find a great scoring lane right on the uh, the short side on the right, and unfortunately, you know, the, the Jets are now in a deficit situation. And then Winnipeg really struggled to create much of anything. I mean, Toronto was basically running the entire third period, and it was frankly a miracle that the Jets weren't down by like five goals. They tried backdoor passes, tip deflections, I mean, just anything out of the box that you could possibly imagine Toronto was basically throwing at the Jets. But as often is the case with this team, Paul Stastny tied it late with the goalie pulled thanks to a really nice deft tip. It was actually Aylers' assist too, his third point of the night. And Winnipeg held on long enough to force an overtime. The overtime, though, I-, I wasn't super thrilled with because they put out Shifley, Wheeler, and Stastny. And, like, at even strength, this line is great. I feel like their lack of speed isn't an issue when they have the two skaters behind them and there's less space. In overtime, though, I don't really understand this decision, especially when Ehlers has been, you know, feeling it all night. He's been creating great counters, and he's had most of your goals. Why not put him out there? Put him with, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois, who had some really great rushes, had a nice assist to Ehlers earlier in the game. And then, you know, Kyle Connor. for as much as he struggles defensively, if you give him space in OT, that's where he'll make a living. Instead, they put out that Shifley unit for an extended period, about a minute. And, of course, you know, against Marner, Matthews, and Riley. You know, Toronto really didn't have to work too much to score a great goal from Matthews, so I felt like the extra point could have been sitting there for the Jets to take. The coaching staff just always makes very strange decisions that I don't fully understand. I get if you want to give your top players a run out there, but in this situation in OT, those aren't your top players. Blake and Paul probably aren't the best guys to suit out there, even though they did create a couple of chances. They missed on the great cross-crease passes that they even had, so it wasn't like they were able to get shots off and then it gets countered and into the back of your net. Put your speed and skill out there, folks. That's that's the takeaway from OT. We'll get to resume this dance on Saturday, tomorrow evening at 7 p.m., I believe, which should be fun. Hopefully the, uh, the Jets actually win this one. They've already taken three out of four points in the first two games, which is not bad, I have to say. It's not bad, but could be better. Up next, to close this out, we'll take a quick look around the league and check out a couple of uh, North Division scorelines that maybe hold some interesting significance for the Jets. But before then, I wanted to tell you a little bit about why rockauto.com is the best place to buy all your auto parts. When it comes to buying automotive replacement parts, it can be hard to find exactly the things you need. And even if you know the parts you're buying, you might not know if you're getting the best deal possible. Stop wasting money, save time, and go to rockauto.com today. They're a family-run business with over 20 years of experience in the automotive industry. Rockauto.com's intuitive, easy-to-use website allows you to sort by make, year, and model of your vehicle and set a price range filter so you get the parts you need at the prices you want. Whether you need a new engine control module or a floor mat replacement, rockauto.com's diverse catalog is sure to have what you need in stock. And best of all, you could save anywhere from 20 30 even 50% off retail brick-and-mortar in-store pricing. Why shop anywhere else when rockauto.com has the best selection and prices in the industry? Go to rockauto.com to place your order, and when you reach the How Did You Hear About Us box, be sure to write Locked On so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com today and get the best selection and prices in the automotive industry. Tell them Locked On sent you. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are closing out tonight with a couple of quick scoreline updates from around the North Division. The first game of interest is Montreal versus Calgary from last night. With an 11 p.m. Eastern start time, I think most people were probably in bed at this time. I I think that this is a very late game for no particular reason. Calgary and uh, Montreal, both teams in very different positions. Calgary just fired their head coach and brought back one of the old guard in Daryl Sutter, which I was very surprised by just because I felt like Sutter had been in retirement for long enough to where I wasn't really sure if he'd actually be an upgrade on, uh, you know, Jeff Ward. That said, Ward is pretty bad, so maybe, you know, this this uh, return to Daryl Sutter is actually going to yield some benefits. I will say that Sutter has always praised really effective, gritty, grindy play to create a lot of scoring chances. He's one of those coaches who really believes in creating gritty goals through a lot of shot volume and like a really aggressive forecheck, which is kind of some of the stuff that we saw from Calgary yesterday. To me, I feel like his thought process is probably outdated at this point. It was outdated even when he was coaching the LA Kings with whom he won a couple of cups with, but, you know, I I guess I understand it to a degree. Montreal, rather than looking for a, uh, a replacement externally to fill their coaching void, ended up turning to, you know, Dominic Ducharme from their AHL team. Ducharme is apparently highly regarded in the Habs organization, and I feel like they're very interested in the way that he sees things, at least from, like, a progressive hockey standpoint and, and, you know, more, you know, unusual tactical acumen and stuff. I feel like he did a lot of different experimentations when he was with Team Canada, so there's definitely potential there. We've already seen some changes to the time on ice deployments between the forwards and the defenders versus what Claude Julien used to do, so... Maybe Descharmes sees this roster differently than Julian did, but unfortunately it didn't really prevent them from losing 2-1 to the Flames. As expected, Calgary poured a ton of shots on goal, certainly outshooting the Habs by a decent margin, and it's not super shocking. I mean, this is Daryl Sutter hockey. I feel like Sutter might be an okay fit just for the time being because Calgary doesn't have a lot of really high-end skill, so creating more volume opportunities might be the way to go if you don't have many high-end elite finishers. By the same token, I don't really know that Sutter is going to get the most out of guys like Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monahan and some of their other higher skill players. It remains to be seen how this plays out, but he's already uh, signing a multi-year contract, which for me is just kind of baffling. I don't really understand why you would go that route. I'd rather give him like half of this season, see what he does. And if he actually fits your team, okay, that's one thing. But I, I, do, I wouldn't be betting on that long term, especially for three to four years. Outside of that game, tonight we had Edmonton versus Ottawa, and to be honest, I wasn't exactly sure how this game was going to go just because Edmonton, you know, they're an alright team. I feel like their depth players are maybe not quite on the level of most of the uh, the higher-end upper crust of the North Division. You know, bit of a relative saying here, but when you've got players like McDavid and Dreisaitl, I think that that tends to make a lot of the other issues less apparent. And, of course, you're playing the Sens. Now, there are two versions of the Sens that have shown up. There's a really good, desperate, fun sense where they actually fight for every goal and probably still lose, but at least they make it close. Over the past couple of games, though, that that sort of has vanished. They aren't really generating many shots, and in fact, some of the teams that they've played have scored more goals against them than they've had shots in like a period. So the bad sense appear to be back again, and right now they're down 5-2, to two, so I don't expect that they will be able to come back in the next six or so minutes remaining in this game to actually force any sort of overtime. This North Division business is going to be very strange, I feel like. Outside of Toronto, I don't really know what teams I have much faith in, especially any of the teams that then have to go and face some of the other divisional opponents deeper in the postseason. I think we all know the Jets aren't quite the juggernaut you'd hope they were, but it is what it is, we sort of have to just deal with it for now. They are talking about maybe trading for David Savard. I've also heard that uh, Nashville has inquired about Sami Niku and the first in exchange for Marius Ekholm, so there's some interest there. With the trade deadline coming up, I'll I'll be interested to see what the Jets do. They definitely need like a top pairing defenseman, but I'd certainly prefer somebody on the younger side. Might not be an option this time, we'll know for sure in just a couple of weeks, but for tonight's episode, at least we'll stop speculating and call it here. On tomorrow's episode, of course, we'll recap uh, the the game against the Toronto Maple Leafs, hoping for a win, but I'm I'm expecting probably an actual regulation loss this time. Because, as always, the devil gets his due, and to be honest, splitting the series with Toronto down the middle is probably not the worst outcome. You could expect three losses, and somehow the Jets have already gotten three points, so I guess it could be worse. Before you log off, though, be sure to check out Locked on NHL. Every Friday on Locked On NHL, join Joe DiBiase of Locked On Sabres and Tom Gazzola of Locked On Oilers as they round up the biggest stories of the week in the NHL and get you prepared for the league's busy weekend slate of games. From breaking down the latest blockbuster trade to sizing up the rivalry matchups on Saturday night, Joe and Tom have every angle of the league covered to close your week. Subscribe to Locked On NHL on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, and as always, thanks for listening, have a great night, and go Jets go!